Welcome to Change the Odds, the podcast. Marriage and family were never meant to be a game of chance. My name's Kevin Thompson, here with my co-host, Leslie Johnston. Leslie, That's how are right. you? Good, Kevin. You good? How are you? I'm doing pretty well, I think. I got I got like a faux beard going on. You kind of do. Yeah, it won't last. Is Jenny into it? Uh, so Jenny kind of likes to look. Okay, then I don't know. Then it I don't stay. like the, uh, it's not going to, it'll be mm-hmm. gone, but it's here. Hey, it's forever on the video if you're watching. It's, it's a benefit. Here. It's a benefit for those who aren't just listening, who are actually watching. <laughs> That's hey, Leslie, what are we doing today? Uh, well, Kevin, we're talking about the book Friends, Partners, and Lovers, but we are talking, I'm actually really excited for this one because we are diving into the assessment that actually is not in the book. This is on changetheodds.com yeah. and they can actually take an assessment to see where you fall friends, partners, and lovers. Yeah, what are your, different assessments. What are your scores? And, and so here's how this kind of came about is, so the book came out many years ago and people kept on kind of asking, hey, how do I know yeah. where we are? And, and, and what's interesting to me is what comes naturally to us of what we think it takes to have a good marriage isn't necessarily aligned with not only what Scripture says, but then also what modern psychology would say. Mm -hmm. And one of the most exciting things about the time in which we live, Leslie, is it has never been so known what we need to be happy in marriage. Generations of old, it's not like my grandparents had these books on the shelves with all this data and research. Oh, here's here's what mama and papa need to be happy. They didn't have any of that. Yeah. We have this knowledge and this understanding. Uh, so what we have done at Change the Odds is we worked with some marriage counselors. We took the topic of friendship, the topic of partnership, and the topic of intimacy. And we said, okay, if we could narrow that down to just 10 things each, what would that look like? What are the big issues here? And uh, so then we created this this assessment. You go in, it probably takes you three minutes to take it, and uh, it, it will give you a score, a friendship score, uh, a partnership score, an intimacy score, and then you can add that up and say, all right, here's, here's kind of where our relationship is right now. Now, there's pros and cons to it. Uh, no relationship can ultimately be determined by a number. We're, we're just, yeah. we're humans. It doesn't work that way. But I think the strength of it is this, to have an out, some outside experts say, here's what really matters in marriage, now takes us beyond ourselves and just our own bias of what we think. And, and let's face it, if we're not very careful, we'll begin to justify our own actions. I always say one of the very first intimacy, not intimacy, one of the very first talks I ever did on love and marriage, uh, I did when I was 17. So the first marriage conference I ever spoke at. I was 17 and have, having never dated, having never and been not married, married. No, not married you are at from all. Arkansas, it is. So you maybe could have been married <laughs> wow. at 17. <laughs> wow. That's the shot that we're going to take. But I look back on what I spoke at on that night because all I had was the Bible. Like mm-hmm. I had no experience I could lean on. I just had the Bible. I look back at what I spoke on that night and it's pretty accurate. Wow. And do you know why it's accurate? Because if I were speak to speak to that same group today, most of them would be dead. But if I were to speak to that same group today, I would be biased. So there's things in my life within my own marriage I'd want to kind of cover up, right? I, I would kind of downplay what I'm not good at and highlight what I'm good at. That's the way we operate. Yeah. We do that in our own relationships. So for a couple to go out and each individual takes it by themselves, and then they can compare the scores. Whenever I'm going to see a couple now, I always tell them, hey, go take the marriage assessment. Email me your email addresses because without that detail, I won't know who they are. And then I can look up what their scores actually are and immediately I can begin to say, 
hey, this relationship is in a pretty good spot, or man, here's what the problem uh, actually is. Yeah. So yeah. I, w- I, would t- I would take anybody in a serious relationship, seriously dating, engaged, and obviously anywhere along the span of being married, and uh, I would say go to changetheodds.com, take the assessment, have your significant other take the assessment, and then more important than the scores, just begin to walk through the statements, the questions, and say, why does this matter? Yeah. And, and is there something here that we're overlooking, which is yeah. what, what we're going to do? You know what I love is that, if, and you talked about this in our previous episode with friends, partners, and lovers, but it seems like you can, sometimes it feels like you're stumbling around in like a dark room trying to figure out why is this, why are we not clicking? Why are we not having either like a friendship, partnership, intimacy, any of those things? And a lot of times, one the other one can affect the other one. Yeah. So if you're not if your friendship is low, then your intimacy must be low or your partnership and I think a lot of people this will be super helpful. Yeah. No, I think so. Let's okay. jump let's jump into it. Okay, the first one. Uh, I regularly have my spouse's full attention and can easily get it when I need it. Yeah, so so these are all going to be they're not going to be questions, they're all going to be statements and then you rank that statement between 0 and 5 with mm-hmm. 5 being absolutely no questions asked. Zero being, there's no way that this possibly happens. This is the one in friendship that fascinates me right now. Because think think about the question, first of all. I regularly have my spouse's full attention. Regularly. What does regularly mean? Doesn't mean anything. I mean, it it just means that there is a pattern of Mm -hmm. some sort that I know it's going to happen. Uh, it doesn't mean 24-7. It doesn't mean anything like that. It's just that there is this pattern that takes place that, that I'm, it does imply that I'm happy with that pattern. I'm okay with that pattern. Yeah. And can easily get it when I need it, which simply means that if my spouse needs me, there is a way they can get my attention and I then give my full attention to them. What amazes me about this, this statement is it is not a high bar. Yeah. It's not a high bar at all. I would hope that this statement is true of my boss. I would hope it's true of the people that report to me that they they regularly have my attention. They can get it whenever they need it. This is not a high bar. Yeah. We've had thousands of people take this assessment. 85% would say that's not true. Wow. 85% would say either I don't regularly have my spouse's full attention, the key word here, mm-hmm. or you know what? I can't get it when I need it. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Yeah. And you think about, all right, we could literally spend the whole time on this one alone. Why, why is this happening? Well, think about where we are, right? We are in the capital of the most significant state in the country, right? And just a couple hours from here, is uh, Silicon Valley, where there are several major companies spending billions of dollars a year for one thing, our attention. That's all they want. If, if, if they can get us scrolling on YouTube, if they can get us holding their Apple phone, uh, if they can get us on Facebook, on Instagram, on threads, on, it was Twitter, it's not anymore, yeah. on X. Journals now is a new one. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And so if they can get us on that, then they can sell to us, mm-hmm. and then they can actually sell us. They can actually say, here's how many eyeballs I have, so, so won't you buy advertising from me? And, and so these companies are spending billions of dollars to figure out ways to get our attention. And the thing about attention is this, we only have so much. So for every second that YouTube 
gets my attention, who's losing it? Mm-hmm. Well, most of the time, it's those who aren't spending billions of dollars to get it, but who should naturally get it. It's my wife. It's my kids. It's my friends. It's my family. And so I would say if we were to talk about – I would think friends, partners, and lovers is in some ways – universally true across all time and cultures. Now, what those words mean in individual times can be different. What friendship looks like can be different. But I would say, what is the most unique threat to marriage in 2023, 2024? What is it? It's the issue of attention. Yeah. As evidenced by the fact that only 15% of people so far can say either almost absolutely yes or no question absolutely yes. Because in my opinion... That statement uh, should be something we can easily go, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we have created, notice what this takes, we have created rhythms to where we're going to have each other's attention. So for me and Jenny, it's a walk. I know as long as it's cool enough or warm enough, five days a week, we're going to go for a walk, 40 minutes, we're going to have each other's full attention. Phones are going to be in the pocket. Now, if kid texts, we'll, we'll answer it. But generally speaking, we're going to have each other's attention. And then beyond that, I know that we have created some mechanisms that if Jenny needs me or if I need her, we drop everything. Yeah. And, and, and so I think most couples haven't done that. And, and I really think here, – here's, here's what I think in marriage. The issue of attention is an issue of friendship. It's an issue of trust. But so often spouses don't recognize that they're suffering from a lack of, att- of attention but it's expressing itself in ways they never even fathom. Mm. And uh, I call it this. I call it marital attention deficit disorder. Mad. For a lot of couples, when you are mad, you are not necessarily mad about the issue. You are mad about the fact that you feel unseen or taken advantage of in the issue. And so if couples would go down a little bit deeper into seeing what's actually going on, because let's face it, you can be in a relationship and something not go right and you laugh it off and that same thing can happen the next time and it just ticks you off. What's the difference? The difference is how cared for and seen and understood do you feel? Mm -hmm. If you feel seen, known, valued, understood, Jenny makes a mistake, it's hilarious. Let's move on. If I feel like she doesn't care, she's not giving me the attention that I need, I'm unseen, unheard, and Jenny does something, then I'm defining her heart by it. Yeah. And that expresses itself in anger. So we're going to do one of these questions an episode, right? <laughs> so we have, like we have 30 episodes planned out. <laughs> this is actually my favorite way to take a test like this because I always look at a question. I'm like, what do they really mean? And now I know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, now we're getting behind. So why? Okay. 85% people, they feel like they don't get their spouse's attention. Mm-hmm. Why are people not giving their attention to their spouse, yeah. what do you is it is it truly just busyness or phones or is it like a is it a deeper thing? Yeah, I think it's a whole series of issues. I think first and foremost, we don't recognize how we control our attention. Mm-hmm. So it is intention is the problem. Intention of attention is is the key here. And, and so literally, because we are not choosing where our eyes go and, and where our brains go in that moment, then the next thing you know, we are left to the whims 
of whoever can come across and gain our attention. Well, now in the culture in which we live, you have so many things that are going on. Uh, let, let's think about this in a way that very few people would think, I think. So there's a positive that's going on with phones right now and technology in general, and that is uh, teenagers are having far less sex. Far less intimacy among teenagers means STD rates are down, teen pregnancy is down. There's so many positives that are going on. But why is that happening? What's happening is they're all on their phones, and so they're not seeing each other. Yeah. And so literally what, what used to happen is without so many things to capture our attention, you would capture each other's attention. That was a good thing. Now, it, it could then Sometimes express itself. To, yes, yeah. <laughs> it could express itself in some negative ways. Uh, but that was that was a good thing. Well, now now teenagers are not spending as much time in physical proximity with each other. And even if they are, then the next thing you know, they're here and not here. And and so that's leading to this disconnect now yeah. that's taking place. Well, that's happening to their parents. Yeah. As well. And so, in part, it's just as simple as we don't recognize that we choose where our attention goes. Because, and, and what happens is we end up outsourcing that to others. And, and anytime you outsource your focus or your attention, you're going to outsource it to somebody who's going to use you, not be there for you, right? This is, this is why you have, uh, is it Cal Newport, I think it is, who wrote the book Deep Work? Uh, one, of the, one of the great works right now on how to get more important things done at work. And, and his basic argument is this, that, that if you are in a job in which you can do this, and, and we are, um, set aside block out specific time to do the most important, valuable work that you possibly can. And, and generally, if you want to do that first, Carrie Newhoff has a great book, uh, At Your Best, where he's saying the same thing. Find find the best part of your day and block off the most important part of your work and do it right then. Intentionally choose what you're going to give attention to. Because if you don't do that, what happens? You walk into the office and it's the first person that comes into your office, it's the first email, it's the first text, and now you're going down these rabbit holes without any value of does this matter or not. And so I think first and foremost, that's what's happening in relationships. And then beyond that, I think you do have this idea of these companies are working very hard to get it. I think they're very smart at how they're going about doing that. There's aspects of addiction that's taking place. Think about the 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 serotonin hits, the dopamine hits that now come from uh, the three uh, notifications I have on my phone right now that weren't there 20 seconds ago. Uh, and that's, that's doing something in my brain. I think we unknowingly become uh, addicted uh, to, to that type of thing. And then I think there's a third thing that's going on. So you have a, a lack of our own awareness. You have the, the brilliance of these companies that are doing it. And the third thing that's going on is it's a coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. It's avoidance. Yeah. That's all it is. We are afraid of silence. We are afraid of that inner voice. Um, many years ago, I, I started noticing, so I'm a, I'm a communicator, right? And uh, I, I wasn't getting stage fright about going up on stage. I was getting stage fright about sitting on the front row before I got up on stage. And so literally, I'd be sitting there with my family, I would get extremely nauseous, mm. and all I would think to myself is, if they don't hurry up and let me up there, I'm out of here. And uh, as soon as I would step on stage, I'd be totally fine. Wow. 
And so I went to a counselor and we were talking about what's going on here. I'm not I'm not nervous about speaking. What is yeah. what's going on? And he said, Kevin, you you are operating at a pace right now where that is the only time in your entire week in which you're not thinking about somebody else or, or doing something else, and you actually have time to hear what's going on inside of you, and you don't like it. Hmm. And so, if you will deal with that, then you will be able to sit on the front row, and they can go as long as they want to go, and you're, you're going to be fine. If you don't deal with that, it's about to express itself in the fact that you're going to be on the front row, and you're going to bolt. Yeah. And how crazy is that? Totally. <laughs> like, where, where did Kevin go? Yeah. And so I, I think we often... It's like all the distraction is gone. Yes. You actually have to sit with yourself. You actually have to deal with it. And I think uh, a question I get all the time that, that relates to this is uh, is a question of, hey, my spouse is always on Facebook, or my spouse is always playing video games, or my spouse is always doing this. And, and the thought is, you know, uh, do they just love it so much? No they unknowingly are afraid of something. Mm. And it's a whole lot easier for me to be scrolling on Facebook as Jenny is talking and to distract myself from her conversation and to kind of let her know I don't want to get that deep versus to put it down, to look her in the eye and to say, okay, what is this going to be about? And to open up and to be vulnerable and to expose now what we so often hide. I think so many people are burying their sorrows, their griefs, their insecurities, their desires, and instead of dealing with them, we find avoidance mechanisms that make us feel more comfortable, and that's what technology is. That's crazy. That actually gives you a lot more sympathy, too, for your significant other if, you know, I mean, you look at him, you're like, if you're always on your phone, it's like, oh, you're just not interested in me or you're just yeah. not interested in this conversation. But it could be deeper. It is. I think for a lot I think for a lot of people it's 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 not about their spouse. Yeah. But but the, they have to see that it is about their yes. spouse. Yeah. That their spouse is suffering mm-hmm. uh, because of what is actually yeah. uh, going on in the moment. Let, let's do this. We're we're halfway through and we're only one and question. We're only in. one question. In. No, but let let's 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 forget about the clock and let's focus more on this because I think it's such an important topic yeah. and we can cover the rest of them in the next episode. Uh, but let's begin to deal with questions of how do we change this. Mm. So so how do we if this truly is the number one threat to marriage, to intimacy, to relationships, because we can take this into parenting very quickly, by the way. This is not um, just marriage. So I'm sitting in a restaurant, and uh, I look across the way, and you have a mom and, and like two small kids that are in this restaurant, right? And and I'm not a guy that I sit over there and judge people who are on their phones or anything. I don't, Not my business. Yeah. I have no idea what's going on. But this relationship kind of caught my attention. And what you had is you had the two kids who were kind of acting out, mm-hmm. right? And so the mom is, and I don't know what the mom's dealing with. Maybe she needed to be on her phone. And uh, she, she's act, they're acting out, and she's growing in frustration. And so she, she's putting her phone down and then kind of yelling at them and reprimanding them, kind of calming them, picking her phone back up. And unknowingly, again, no judgment for me, unknowingly what she's doing in that moment is she's giving them the very thing they desire, her attention. But she's training them that the only way you can get it is through bad behavior. Mm. 
And then the only attention you're going to get is going to be negative attention. And, and ironically, whenever it comes to kids, kids would rather have their parents' negative attention than no attention at all. Wow. Because negative attention at least kind of implies like you see me, at least you care somewhat. Mm-hmm. Now, it screws up your, your brain, but there we can't take an absence of attention, not from people who are that important to us. Yeah. And, and so what happens is because that absence of attention is so damaging to us, we have to write a story of some sort to explain it. Mm-hmm. And so the story tends to become either you're a selfish jerk or I'm not lovable, I'm not beautiful, I'm not desirable, I'm not interesting, I'm nothing. Yeah. And and those two stories lead us into some horrible places and even worse coping mechanisms than uh, after that. And, and so to, to, to understand and to see the importance of this issue, I think, is, is vital. Wow. Because you hear couples all the time go, yeah, the only, the only way I can get their attention is to either threaten to leave, to blow up to have an issue, you know? Yeah. It's like you see that constantly. No, absolutely. And you think about this. I mean, your parents are such great examples that you walk into a room and I don't care what is going on, you have your dad's attention mm-hmm. immediately. I could be talking to him. <laughs> I no longer have your dad's attention. You have yeah. it immediately. Yeah. And think about the foundation that that creates. I mean, one thing, so I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to switch from parenting to marriage just this quickly. Guys, marry a girl that had the love of her father. Women, right? Mar- marry a guy that had the love of his parents. It just creates a security. Now, yeah. if you I'm not trying to heap guilt out there, and I'm not saying, you know, if on the third date you find out she didn't know her dad number. I'm not saying that at all. Yeah, no. But as I look at my kids, I just think, man, that is a gift I can give to them that they never have to doubt. Let's see, I mean, we talked last episode that I've done a couple hundred weddings, if not more. I've also done a couple hundred funerals, mm-hmm. and it is not uncommon at all for, for a family to be on the front row and I'm talking and the casket is there and dad dad is in the casket. And a lot of times I've maybe have gotten close to dad late in life because he, he got sick and all those kind of things and adult children. And, and so sometimes I know things about the dad that the sons don't know. Wow. And it is not uncommon at all for me because anytime, anytime I hear good, I want to vocalize it. Because I don't know if they knew this or not. And sometimes I'll say, man, your dad loved you. And they'll be like, oh, man, we know, right? If I told you, man, your dad loves you. I know. Let's move on, right? Yeah. (laughs) But there, I can't tell you how many times I have said something like, man, I was in conversation with your dad, and he just beamed with pride. He had such love for you. I can't tell you how many times I've had sons come up to me afterwards and go, is that real? Mm. Is Is that true? Because they didn't know. Yeah. And, and so to be able to give this to your children, to be able to give this to your spouse, that I see you, I love you. Let's face it, it, it could be in today's culture that there is nothing that communicates love more than attention. Nothing. 
because there are so many demands, so many places that we can take it. And, and to be able to zero back in and to say, he sees me, he loves me, he's for me, for, for me to say, I, I use this phrase all the time, Jenny loves me and she's for me. Yeah. I have no doubt about it. And, and everything that she does is interpreted by me through that lens. That's a gift that that's hard to beat. Yeah. How do you, like, what would be your advice to couples who are like, hey, I need to have that conversation with my spouse. I don't want it to become a massive argument. I, how, do you, how do you even approach that conversation of, I need your attention? Yeah. But you've maybe been doing it in a way that has not produced good attention. Yeah. I, I, think, I think a way to do it is, is to, in, in the right moment, to have a conversation and to say, here's, here's the story for most couples. Hey, do you remember when we first started dating? I, I couldn't stop thinking about you. Like, I, like with Jenny, I mean, I would memorize her schedule in college and just happen to be standing along the route <laughs> along the way, right? I, I think modern so day, they call that stalking. Stalker. <laughs> but uh, back then, it was just, you know, being in love. And so, uh, you, you would go out of your way to find times for attention. I think to draw that to your spouse's attention and to say, look, hey, life's busy. These kids are busy. Career's busy. All that is true. I would love to find ways to connect with you more. And as I look at my own life, I realize there are times in which I could be connecting with you that I'm not. I'm on my phone. I'm doing other things. Is, is there a way that we could create a rhythm in which we have that? Now, here's the sad news. There are some spouses who are in so much pain and in such a bad mode, that's just not going to work. And if that's the case, then, then I would probably make an appointment with a counselor and tell your spouse, hey, I'm going to this counseling. I want you to go with me, but I'm going with or without you. But I'm going because we got to figure this out. But I think for most couples in a generally healthy kind of concept, they could see that and, and there's something they could actually do about it. And then here's what I think becomes uh, the secret. Take, let's take this statement in two ways. So one, I regularly have my spouse's attention. That's one issue. And then two, I can easily get it when I need it. So let's start with the second. I can easily get it when I need it. You and your spouse need, or, or significant other need to create communication techniques to where I know how serious this is. So if Jenny calls me right now, I'm not going to answer. If she texts me ASAP or uses other language, we're going to stop this recording and I'm going to take the phone call. She, there, is a, there is a mechanism in place where Jenny, where Ella, where Silas, where my parents can immediately get my attention no matter what is actually happening. And I could be on stage and there is still a way to communicate to me, and they will get my full resources in the moment at the expense of whatever is happening. Yeah. You have to create that. And the only way to create that is through communication, to say, all right, what, what is it? What's, what's the code words? What's the, what's the look? All those kind of things. I Generally speaking, I can be in a room of 1,000 people, and if Jenny gives me a certain look, I'm going to her. Hmm. It may not be immediate. I'm going to have to get out of this conversation, but I'm not going to get caught up along the way. I'm going to, and there are times in which I misread it. There are times in which I get over there and I'm like, hey, you know, what do you need? She's like, I don't, I don't need anything. But I would rather misread it in a positive way than not have it at all or go, well, she probably didn't, didn't mean it. Yeah. So you have to create a, a mechanism 
that's there. We can call it a marriage 911 if you want to. What is it? What is it that you communicate? And even code words, I think, come in handy in, in those words with kids and all those kind of things. But then I regularly have my spouse's full attention. What does that mean? Here's where you got to create the rhythms of life. Yeah. Where, where we, we talk about work-life balance. That is a useless topic. Work and life are never in balance, I don't think. Work-life balance implies this, this idea of a seesaw, right? Where you have this perfect balance and it's just teetering right there. It, it's never that way. There are days in, in which parenting teenagers demands everything I've got and work is going to get nothing. There are other days in which working with you takes everything I've takes got. It all out. <laughs> and I'm not going to have any time for mm-hmm. my family. Uh, I, I saw this is a rare thing. I saw my son yesterday for 30 seconds. Very rare. I left the house before he got up. I got home extremely late, right? He came in and harassed me for about 30 seconds. That's about all he needed. And then he left. That's a very rare thing. But there are those days. That's not balance. Yeah. But we do have these rhythms, the, these very predictable patterns and rhythms. We have them on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, on an annual basis, in which I know at some point in this next quarter, Jenny and I are going to sneak away for a night and somebody's going to be with the kids. I know that. That's just going to that's gonna happen. I know at some point in this next year, we're going to get away for a few days. I'm going to be speaking somewhere. She's going to be working somewhere, whatever. We're going to, that way somebody else will pay for it. Yeah. Uh, we're, but we're going to go together and break away. I know that. I know on a weekly basis, we're going to have these walks, right? I know on a daily basis. One of the things that we do is, so my mom and papa married 70 years. They went to bed together and got up together every day. Like it was always the funniest thing to me is, um, so they would, they, I'd be spending the night, right? And Mama would be tired. And so Mama would say, well, Papa, are you about ready to go to bed? And he'd say, well, I, I just want to watch the end of this game. And she'd be like, all right. And she'd sit there. She wasn't going to bed without him. And the game would end and, and they would then go to bed. And so, so the other night, uh, I just noticed myself. I said, hey, Jenny, are, are, you, are you ready for bed? And she goes, well, I want to finish my tea. And I'm like, okay. I sat there, right? <laughs> because we have this pattern in which, and obviously any day can be different, and no couple has to mimic this. Yeah. The issue isn't what we do, it's that we do something. Yes. And so, we wake up together, we go to sleep together. Now, now think about what that does. Here's what that does. We wake up together, which means the first five minutes of our day, before we get out of bed, we are in bed together, a generally somewhat awake, right? There's physical connection. There can be a little bit of communication of what's going on. So before our day starts, we already have five minutes of, hey, we're in this together. And then as our day ends, we go to bed together. We don't immediately go to sleep, right? And so we have five minutes at least at the end of the day in which it can be Hey, oh, I forgot to tell you about here's what happened today. Or, you know, mm-hmm. it can be a held hand, right? It can be a touch of some sort. And so every day, we're guaranteed 10 minutes. Yeah. Now, a couple doesn't have to do that. They have different schedules, all that kind of thing. Begin to add that up. What does 10 minutes a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, 
23 years in add up to? The next thing you're going to start finding out is by that little small investment of attention, we're going to have, uh, you know, by the end of our life, we're going to have seven, eight more years of marriage than other people would have because we've chosen these very small moments. Whenever we think about attention so often, we think about, oh my goodness, I, I can't take anything else. There's so many demands right now. It's it's not about hours upon hours. Now, there need to be times in which that happens. Yeah. But what that means today is it means a couple minutes in the morning. It means a couple texts throughout the day. It, it means a couple minutes at night. It, it means hopefully we'll get a walk-in, right? We, we're not going to today the day we're recording this. There's an event that's going on tonight that she's busy at. We won't walk tonight. But after the event's over, we'll clean the kitchen together. Uh, we'll fall into bed together. We'll talk about what, what's actually going on. And I know for a fact that I will have her attention today. And so if something comes up and I don't get it, it's not that big of a deal. I'll get it the next time. Yeah. But here's the thing. If you don't have those patterns set, those rhythms set, then whenever you miss it, here's a great test for couples. If your spouse were to forget a significant Valentine's Day, anniversary, birthday, you have every right to be disappointed, to be hurt. How big of a deal would it be, though? For a lot of couples, it would be a very big deal. And that's more than just, hey, this is my love language, right? It is this idea that we live in a constant state of attention deficit. And whenever that happens, and the moment we think we're finally going to get it and we don't, it's devastating. Whereas if you live in a constant state of attention affluence, Mm -hmm. if it doesn't happen, I'm disappointed. Yeah. But I know what's going to happen. We, we think about this from the concept of intimacy. One thing I, I ask couples all the time to see, are you living in the affluence of intimacy? If you have, have scheduled intimacy that's, that's supposed to come up and it doesn't happen for whatever reason, there's a, there's a headache, there's a stomach ache, there's a kid, whatever. If it doesn't happen, you have every right to be disappointed. Does it cause a fight? If it does, chances are it's because you're not experiencing this enough. And this one event becomes so important because you're dehydrated the rest of the time. Think about this. If you and I, I mean, let's say we we go down the desert, right? If you're down the desert and you're dying of thirst and and you see that much water left over in a water bottle, it would have all the value of the world to you. But you and I have water bottles everywhere right now. Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. Because we live in this constant state of hydration, a little bit of water doesn't matter. We need to live in a general state of attention affluence. And the test of that is, what happens when we don't get that attention? Are we generally okay? Or does it cause you know an outrage of some sort? Yeah, yeah. My mom, she used to tell us growing up, because we were four kids. I mean, she at one point had four kids all under the age of four years old, because mm. I'm a twin. So... We would fight all the time. And she told us, she's like, your relationships all together are like a bank. She's like, the more you put in positive stuff, then you can take out. Because we all used to be very sarcastic with each other. And she said, 
if you're if you're depositing enough positive, there are going to be times where either you make a sarcastic comment mm-hmm. or you have to pull something out. If you have nothing to pull from, now you're yeah. in deficit, just like yeah. what you're saying. No, that's really right? good. It's so, so important. So you, I mean, you're not to get into too much detail because it's your relationship, but you're in a long distance relationship now. Yes. Right? Yeah. This is a big issue with that. It is. And you know what's interesting that really stuck out to me was when we talked about not just giving your time, but giving your best time. Mm-hmm. I'm realizing, so we we dated, we've been dating for two and a half years. And the first year and a half, almost two years was not long distance. So we were together and we worked together. We All of our best time was spent together. And uh, when we went long distance for job stuff, that is what I'm realizing. I actually look at this and I'm the one that's actually not the best at giving mm-hmm. my full attention. Um, mostly because I have a little bit of like a squirrel personality. I'm like, what? what's going on over here? But it's interesting because I look at this and I go, okay, I. it's funny how our relationship can be when someone would ask us, oh, is this your most important part or most important thing? Of course, you'd be like, yes, my relationship is the most important thing to me. But how funny that we go through the whole day and I go, okay, I wake up, I make, I'll make, i send a text or maybe a quick phone call, but then I'll go through the entire day of work, um, other friendships, I'll have dinner plans, I'll have all these different things, a small group. And then at the very end of the day, I'm like, oh yeah, I got I got to call him. Mm. And I'm mm. realizing over the course of however many months it's been, I'm like, you do start to dip into this, oh, if I'm not actually giving my best time, yeah. it ends up just being, you You look at your relationship and you're like, oh, I can, I can sense when we're feeling off. Yeah. And I look at that and I'm like, oh, I got to start giving my best time not that I mean that doesn't work for everything with when kids come into the picture no. eventually and all that, but giving your best time that that really did stick out to me. Yeah, no, you know Jenny and I we we had a, a distance in our relationship at, at one point, and to me it was the most meaningful time of the development of our relationship because one it, it made it see is this real or not right if, if i can just forget about you then it's not yeah. that important uh but then beyond that is it caused us to have to be intentional of mm-hmm. and so this is i mean this is back before cell phones before that kind of thing and so i mean i remember i used to have to call the the dorm room that she was living in in montana and uh, I was in Arizona, and you know this old lady would answer the phone, and I'd have to ask for Jenny, which was hilarious. But we would also write letters. We would also uh, – I started sending her marriage books because I was, I was on board. She wasn't. And so I would read it and then send it to her, and then she would read it. And so we would create this very intentional kind of touch points. I think about couples that run uh, – that, that you know, you have the late shift. You have, you have overnight work. Mm-hmm. And so you're not in the same – vicinity all the time, one of the encouragements I give to them is, hey, on the nightstand, have a book that you're both reading and Mm. leave notes for each other, post-it notes as, hey, this stuck out to me, or or it gives you something to talk about in some way. The issue is that idea of rhythm to create that. Forget about work-life balance. The idea of what are the rhythms that we can actually create uh, to then know that, hey, I'm going to have her attention and she's going to have my attention. One thing I tell couples all the time, we'll close with this, is set an alarm on on your phone to go off at a specific time every day. And in that moment, like for you, what you could do is, I'm just going to text him every day at this time. He doesn't have to talk to me. This is is my reminder. I'm going to 
show you that I'm thinking about you, that I love you, that, that, that I'm considering what's going on. I tell couples do that all the time. Just think about your spouse. What are they experiencing in this day? Pray for them. And then if you want to send them a note, great. If you don't, so be it. But to create that pattern, I think, is a powerful way. Yeah. Well, Leslie, we did a great job on these 10 statements <laughs> on the friendship assessment. But seriously, go to changetheodds.com. Take this assessment. So by the, by the next podcast, when we go over the other nine of these, and we'll do nine instead of one, uh, we'll figure out what's going on. Thanks That's for right. joining me. It was yeah, fun. Thanks. We'll see you all next time.